Chapter Thirty of *The Bishop's Secret* by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty: Blackmail. For some moments Graham did not speak, but looked with pity on the grief-shaken frame and bowed shoulders of his sorely tried friend. Indeed, the position of the man was such that he did not see what comfort he could administer, and so, very wisely, held his peace. However, when the bishop, growing more composed, remained still silent, he could not forbear offering him a trifle of consolation. "'Don't grieve so, Pendle,' he said, laying his hand on the other's shoulder. "'It is not your fault that you are in this position.' The bishop sighed and murmured with a shake of his head, Omnis qui facet peccatum, surus est peccate. But you have not done sin, cried Graham, dissenting from the text. You, your wife, myself, everyone thought that Krant was dead and buried. The man fled and lied and forged to gain his freedom, to shake off the marriage bonds which galled him. He was the sinner, not you, my poor innocent friend. True enough, doctor, but I am the sufferer. Had God in his mercy not sustained me in my hour of trial, I do not know how I should have borne my misery, weak, erring mortal that I am. That speech is one befitting your age and office, said the doctor gravely, and I quite approve of it. All the same, there is another religious saying, I don't know if it can be called a text, God helps those who help themselves. You will do well, Pendle, to lay that to heart. How can I help myself? said the bishop hopelessly. The man is dead now, without doubt, but he was alive when I married his supposed widow, therefore the ceremony is null and void. There is no getting behind that fact. Have you consulted a lawyer on your position? No, the law cannot sanction a union, at least in my eyes, which I know to be against the tenets of the church. So far as I know, if a husband deserts his wife and is not heard of for seven years, she can marry again after that period without being liable to prosecution as a bigamist. But in any case, the second ceremony is not legal." "'Mrs. Krant became your wife before the expiration of seven years, I know,' said Graham, wrinkling his brow. "'Certainly, and therefore she is, in the eyes of the law, a bigamist,' the bishop shuddered, although God knows she fully believed her husband to be dead. But the religious point of view is the one I take, doctor. As a churchman I cannot live with a woman whom I know is not my wife. It was for that reason that I sent her away.' "'But you cannot keep her away forever, Bishop, at all events, unless you explain the position to her.' "'I dare not do that in her present state of health. The shock would kill her. No, Graham, I see that sooner or later she must know, but I wished for her absence that I might gain time to consider my terrible position. I have considered it in every way, but, God help me, I can see no hope, no escape.' Alas, alas, I am sorely, sorely tried. Graham reflected, Are you perfectly certain that Jentham and Krant are one and the same man? he asked doubtfully. I am certain of it, replied Pendle decisively. I could not be deceived in the dark gypsy face, in the peculiar cicatrice on the right cheek. 
and he knew all about my wife graham about her family her maiden name the amount of her fortune her taking up parish work in marylebone above all he showed me the certificate of his marriage and a number of letters written to him by amy reproaching him with his cruel desertion oh there can be no doubt that this jentham is or rather was stephen krant it would seem so sighed graham heavily evidently there is no hope of proving him to be an impostor in the face of such evidence he came to extort money i suppose need you ask said the bishop bitterly yes his sole object was blackmail he was content to let things remain as they are provided his silence was purchased at his own price he told me that if i paid him two hundred pounds he would hand over certificate and letters and disappear never to trouble me again i doubt if such a blackguard could keep his word pendle moreover although novelists and dramatists attach such a value to marriage certificates they are really not worth the paper they are written on save perhaps as immediate evidence the register of the church in which the ceremony took place is the important document and that can neither be handed over nor destroyed krant was giving you withered leaves for your good gold pendle still needs must when sir urian drives so i suppose you agreed to the bribe the bishop's grey head drooped on his breast his eyes sought the carpet and he looked like a man overwhelmed with shame yes he replied in low tones of pain i had not the courage to face the consequences indeed what else could i do i could not have the man denounce my marriage as a false one force himself into the presence of my delicate wife and tell my children that they are nameless the shock would have killed amy it would have broken my children's hearts it would have shamed me in my high position before the eyes of all england i was innocent i am innocent yes but the fact remained as it remains now that i am not married to amy that my children are not entitled to bear my name i ask you graham i ask you what else could i do than pay the money in the face of such shame and disgrace there is no need to excuse yourself to me pendle i do not blame you in the least but i blame myself in part replied the bishop sadly as an honest man i knew that my marriage was illegal as a priest i was bound to put away the woman who was not who is not my wife but think of the shame to her of the disgrace to my innocent children i could not do it graham i could not do it satan came to me in such a guise that i yielded to his tempting without a struggle i agreed to buy jentham's silence at his own price and as i did not wish him to come here again lest amy should see him i made an appointment to meet him on southbury heath on sunday night and there pay him his two hundred pounds blackmail did you speak with him on the spot where his corpse was afterwards found said graham in a low voice not daring to look at his friend no answered the bishop simply not suspecting that the doctor hinted at the murder i met him at the cross-roads you had the money with you i suppose i had the money in notes of tens as i was unwilling to draw so large a sum from the Burminster bank lest my doing so should provoke comment i made a special journey to london and obtained the money there i think you were over-careful bishop 
Graham, I tell you I was overcome with fear, not so much for myself as for those dear to me. You know how the most secret things become known in this city, and I dreaded lest my action should become public property, and should be connected in some way with Jentham. Why, I even tore the butt of the cheque I drew out of the book, lest any record should remain likely to excite suspicion. I took the most elaborate precautions to guard against discoveries. And rather unnecessary ones, rejoined Graham dryly. Well, and you met the scamp? I did, on Sunday night. That Sunday I was at Southbury, holding a confirmation service, and as I rode back, shortly after eight in the evening, I met Jentham, by appointment, at the crossroads. It was a stormy and wet night, Graham, and I half thought that he would not come to the rendezvous. But he was there, sure enough, and in no very good temper at his wedding. I did not get off my horse but handed down the packet of notes, and asked him for the certificate and letters. Which, no doubt, he declined to part with at the last moment. You are right, said the bishop mournfully. He declared that he would keep the certificate until he received another hundred pounds. The scoundrel! What did you say? What could I say but yes? I was in the man's power at any cost, if I wanted to save myself and those dear to me, I had to secure the written evidence he possessed. I told him that I had not the extra money with me, but that if he met me in the same place a week later he should have it. I then rode away downcast and wretched. The next day, concluded the bishop quietly, I heard that my enemy was dead. Murdered, said Graham explicitly murdered as you say rejoined pendle tremulously and oh my friend i fear that the cane who slew him now has the certificate in his possession and holds my secret what i have suffered with that knowledge god alone knows every day every hour i have been expecting a call from the assassin the deuce you have said the doctor surprised into unbecoming language Yes, he may come and blackmail me also, Graham. Not when he runs the risk of being hanged, my friend. But you forget, said the bishop with a sigh, he may trust to his knowledge of my secret to force me to conceal his sin. Would you be coerced in that way? Dr. Pendle threw back his noble head, and, looking intently at his friend, replied in a firm and unfaltering tone, No said he gravely, even at the cost of my secret becoming known, I should have the man arrested. Well, said Graham, with a shrug, you are more of a hero than I am, Bishop. The cost of exposing the wretch seems too great. Graham, Graham, I must do what is right at all hazards. Fiat justitia ruat calium, muttered the doctor. There is a morsel of dictionary Latin for you. The heavens above your family will certainly fall if you speak out. The bishop winced and whitened. It is a heavy burden, Graham, a heavy, heavy burden. But God will give me strength to bear it. He will save me according to his mercy. The little doctor looked meditatively at his boots. 
He wished to tell Pendle that the chaplain suspected him of the murder, and that Baltic, the missionary, had been brought to Beorminster to prove such suspicions, but at the present moment he did not see how he could conveniently introduce the information. Moreover, the bishop seemed to be so utterly unconscious that any one could accuse him of the crime, that Graham shrank from being the busybody to enlighten him yet it was necessary that he should be informed if only that he might be placed on his guard against the machinations of cargrim of course the doctor never for one moment thought of his respected friend as the author of a deed of violence and quite believed his account of the meeting with jentham the bishop's simple way of relating the episode would have convinced any liberal-minded man of his innocence and rectitude his accents and looks and candour all carried conviction finally graham hit upon a method of leading up to the subject of cargrim's treachery by referring to the old gipsy and her fortune-telling at mrs pansey's garden-party what does mother jael know of your secret he asked with some hesitation nothing replied the bishop promptly it is impossible that she can know anything unless here he paused unless she is aware of who killed jentham and has seen the certificate and letters do you think she knows who murdered the man i cannot say at that garden party i went into the tent to humour some ladies who wished me to have my fortune told i saw you go in bishop and you came out looking disturbed no wonder graham for mother jael under the pretence of reading my hand hinted at my secret i fancied from what she said that she knew what it was and i accused her of having gained the information from jentham's assassin however she would not speak plainly but warned me of coming trouble and talked about blood and the grave until i really believe she fancied i had killed the man i could make nothing of her so i left the tent considerably discomposed as you may guess i intended to see her on another occasion but as yet i have not done so is it your belief that the woman knows your secret asked graham no on consideration i concluded that she knew a little but not much at all events not sufficient to hurt me in any way Crant, that is jentham was of gipsy blood and i fancied that he had seen mother jael and perhaps in his boastful way had hinted at his power over me still i am quite certain that for his own sake he did not reveal my secret and after all graham the allusions of mother jael were vague and unsatisfactory although they disturbed me sufficiently to make me anxious for the moment well bishop i agree with you mother jael cannot know much or she would have spoken plainer so far as she is concerned i fancy your secret is pretty safe but added graham with a glance at the door what about cargrim he knows nothing graham perhaps not but he suspects much suspects echoed the bishop in scared tones what can he suspect that you killed jentham said graham quietly dr pendle looked incredulously at his friend i i murder i kill what cargrim says he stammered then asked him with a sharp rush of speech is the man mad 
'No, but he is a scoundrel, as I told you. Listen, bishop,' and in his rapid way Graham reported to Dr Pendle all that Harry Brace had told him regarding Cargrim and his schemes. The bishop listened in incredulous silence, but almost against his will he was obliged to believe in Graham's story, that a man whom he trusted, whom he had treated with such kindness, should have dug this pit for him to fall into was almost beyond belief, and when the truth of the accusation was forced upon him he hardly knew what to say about so great a traitor. But he made up his mind to one thing. I shall dismiss him at once he said determinedly. No, bishop, it is unwise to drive a rat into a corner, and Cargrim may prove himself dangerous if sharply treated. Better tolerate his presence until Baltic discovers the real criminal. I don't like the position, said the bishop, frowning. No man would. However, it is better to temporize than to risk all and lose all. Better let him remain, Pendle." very well graham i shall take your advice good graham rose to depart and gabriel he asked with his hand on the door send him to me doctor i must speak to him you won't scold him for seeing me first i hope scold him said the bishop with a melancholy smile alas my friend the situation is too serious for scolding End of chapter thirty